0: When you're talking about whether or not we should use markets or not, you're really just deciding, well, scarcity is going to exist in any system. Scarcity doesn't go away. The question is, is what are the consequences of scarcity and who bears them?
1: This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Okay, so we're back with Bryce. Bryce Ward,
0: you came back again. We're keeping this going. The third time is the charm. Third time time is the charm. really deliver something.
1: And now we have big news. We're going to break news right here. We have a name for the series. As promised, it is Incentives and Instincts. Uh, Bryce, how do you feel about that name?
0: I like it. We have a logo, too. It's very fancy. We
1: have a logo. Yep. Uh, super fancy. We do things right here at a new angle slash incentives. And That's a, yeah the sub branding thing. We got to work on the brand family, but we have a name. So yeah. agreed. Anyway, this is timely. So we uh, when we dropped our last episode, which was sort of our reflection on the future of work and what we learned from Scott Latham and Michael Punk and others. Uh, ironically, uh, a study by the St. Louis Fed came out the day we released our episode, suggesting that the paybacks or the returns to higher education might not be as high as, as, as what we presented in our, uh, in our conversation and what, what research has shown historically. Bryce, you want to comment on that study and the article in The Atlantic? Because we got some listener comments about that.
0: So let's be very specific. So yes. what it shows is that the wealth premium right. has dropped. The income premium is still there. Uh, The issue is that particularly if you were born after 1980, uh, if you are a college graduate at this age, which is still pretty young, Mm -hmm. they aren't accumulating wealth at the same rate as people who were, say, 30s in previous generations. Previous cohorts.
1: Right. So that distinction is important. They are making the same income premium, but the wealth. Slightly
0: less, but it's still large. It's like 50%. Sure. It's, know, it's yeah.
1: close to the same, but the wealth they're accumulating is not the same. And that adjusts for just time, right? It's not just comparing younger people, to older people. No,
0: no. This is we're we're, we're we're fixing your age. Sure. And we're saying, and essentially, there's a big, there's a initial break that occurs with people born after 1960. So basically, boomers versus X's and millennials. hmm because X's have also done more poorly relative to the past. Right. Just overall, setting aside the college premium, just overall, mm-hmm. the Great Recession was very bad for X's and Millennials. Now, this data that we're talking about—it's also worth pointing out—it's three years old. Sure. Right. So the Survey of Consumer Finances comes out every three years. So we'll get the new data this year. So we'll be very interested to see what the 2019 data says. Okay. But the 2016 data showed that people born after 1980 were not catching... So the Gen Xers had started to kind of come back to where they were supposed to be by 2016. In 2010 everybody was in a mess. But yeah. by 2016 Xers had started, you know if you were born in the 70s, you were starting to get back towards... You were still below where you were supposed to be. Uh, but it was like a $15,000 gap as opposed to three years earlier when it was a $50,000 gap. Okay. Okay. Uh, millennials had come back a little bit, but there was still a big gap, right? So that's just the overall net median net worth picture. So that's just yes. worth talking about. We're talking about median net worth, right. right? So then when we move to the college premium, now we're basically trying to compare, okay, so within a cohort, you have a degree, you don't have a degree, how much more wealth do you have at this particular point in your life? And technically, it's not born after 1980, which, is that the cutoff for and millennial Is that... Oh gosh, I don't I know. I think it might be it's, I think it's, it's like eighty-four or something. But maybe. anyway, so it's 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 fringe X and millennium. Yeah, yeah. Is what we're talking about. Um so for that group, the wealth premium for whites has shrunk. It's still there is still a there is still a premium. Still a premium. Uh, for blacks, zero. Zero. Uh there mm-hmm. is no wealth premium for African American families with a head of household with a college degree. Uh for people born after 1980.
1: Right. And two, I mean, there's multiple mechanisms there, but two kind of theories that came to mind that we're sort of going to transition into are um, asset prices. So it's it's a little bit more difficult to get into the market, including housing. That's a big part of it. And then the price of education has increased rapidly as well, right?
0: Yeah, so... Um you, those are two, and there's a third one. Okay. Uh So first, housing prices. So if you look at the ratio of, say, median household income to median home value, or median home value to median household income, that's gone up a bunch, mm-hmm. right? And in Montana, it's gone up a ton. Yeah. Uh, so if you're getting to be the time you're going to go buy your first house, you're buying in at a really high price point. Yeah. Right? So... It's worth something, but you're taking out a whole bunch of debt, and so your net worth doesn't look very good. Sure. College debt, also higher. Uh, you know, college is, is Price more, of college price and of, the debt associated, like, like debt those two work together. Yeah. Are, 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 although, interestingly, if you look across age cohorts, um, amongst people who still have college debt, mm-hmm. uh, the median is about the same. Uh, it's about $30,000 for a bachelor's degree. Uh, $30,000 to $40,000 is kind of median. Um so, the, you know, but that may be that there's, there's, that's just a snapshot. So yeah. I don't, we're, not, yeah. we're not seeing the movie of people paying it back and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But um, so, yeah, so there's that, you know, so that when you're talking about in your 30s, when a, a typical median household net worth is like $50,000. Right. Carrying $30,000 of debt will eliminate yeah, whatever yeah. premium uh, you might have. The third story, um, which... I think should apply to everybody. So I'm not sure if it should explain the college premium um, is financial liberalization. right? Okay. Explain that. Basically it's a lot easier to borrow money than it used to be. Okay. And okay. we don't actually teach you um, a whole lot of financial literacy. So you get to be eighteen, and suddenly, oh hey, I can. People give me, are giving me credit all over the place.
1: Sure, even and even after the financial crisis, it's still it's easier. Still
0: easy to get credit.
1: All these debt vehicles, all these, yeah. I mean, it's just to create a supply for these debt markets.
0: And it's easy to make a mistake. Yes. Right. And when you make a mistake, it just compounds, right? If you mm-hmm. make a mistake and you just keep carrying interest around with you, uh, that's a you know it's a big burden. It will lower your net worth. So. Um so the short version is it's, it's certainly uh, an interesting finding um I think it it's probably the first two explanations the fact that you know it's very hard to get assets yeah uh and you know and then because it's expensive you're also not getting the same appreciation right like if you bought if you were coming of age in 1990 in Montana yep right you could buy a house relatively cheap mm-hmm. and now if you're sitting here 10 year 15 20 years later you got enormous Appreciation out of that asset, uh, which that's just padding your net worth. Whereas if you're buying now and housing price appreciation this decade, in a lot of markets has been slower. Uh, particularly if you're smoothing through the Great Recession, right? Uh, so you know, so if you came of age and you bought your house in 2007, you know the the total appreciation of your house over that 10 year period in some markets has been hot, right? But in a lot of markets has been Certainly lower than what was happening before. And so, yeah, it's it's harder to accumulate that net worth at a young age. Um, like I said, I'm very curious. Don't, I don't know exactly when the 2019 Survey of Consumer Finances gets released, but it'll be very interesting to see somebody come back and revisit that with an additional three years to see if we've gotten ourselves back on track at all yeah, or if we yeah. continue to be... I'm sure there's still going to be a lag, right? It's it's hard to imagine it going away given that housing prices are still high and college debt remains college debt. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, as they've aged just a little bit, then we'll see some catch up.
1: So an open question in many ways and one that we'll be paying attention to. It's squarely in the middle of the sorts of things we'll, we're going to be talking about here. And within that, you know, I think this this dovetails nicely for our planned topic of conversation today, and that is – you know, material security or insecurity in many ways, and, and, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of the upshot from this future of work conversation: is are people going to be able to provide for their needs? Are they going to be able to save for their dreams and invest in their families and do all these things? Um, let's 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 break this down a little bit. I mean, what are we talking about when we're talking about material security? What is, well, how does an, an economist kind of conceptualize that?
0: Well, at the simple version, it's do I have enough resources to provide me with options? Okay, right? That's you know, it's the easiest yeah. way to think yeah. about it is you can think of it as kind of the, the freedom or power to make choices because I'm not constrained by the fact that the bills come due next month. And mm-hmm. if I don't do everything I can to make money, I won't be able to pay all those bills, right? Right, That is material insecurity, right? Um, And so, you know, basically it's, there's components to it. You know, there's obviously, there's the wealth component, right? Mm -hmm. If I have more stuff in the bank, I've got a cushion. You've got options. But there's the flow of income, there's the volatility of income, and then there's consumption. And in terms of, there's, I guess, fixed consumption, that you've already kind of committed to your mortgage or uh-huh. your student loan payment or whatever it is that yeah. you can't really get around that easily. And then there's discretionary spending around that where, you know, I can choose to spend this money or not. But all of that stuff combined, that leaves me in my my position of security depending on what my consumption needs are, how much income I have, and how much in the bank I have. Uh, and we can define income broadly. It's not just your job. It's also... Uh, family transfers, government transfers, sure. capital sure. income, you know, all that stuff.
1: And this kind of all wraps in, I mean, we're in, we're in an election year. We're hot in the primary season right now. So, and this notion of the middle class is, is this contested soundbite. You know, what is it? Who are the middle class? Is it shrinking? Is it growing? How are they doing relative to other classes, etc.? But there is this kind of broad notion that it, it, it feels a little bit harder to get ahead for the people in the middle. And that's sort of qualitative, right? Um, Let's break that down. I mean, you've got things like productivity. You've got things like wages. Are are wages growing? What's productivity doing? How do those two relate? Are costs of living increasing? All these sort of dimensions that lead to ultimately feeling if you're materially secure or insecure.
0: Hold on for that. There's just one more fact I want to kind of throw. Okay, in there, I missed right? something. Like, no, I just was thinking about I defined it conceptually, but I didn't give you any data on how secure we are. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, what's baseline? So uh, right now, most people say they're doing okay. Yeah. Right. Like, so if you ask that's a self-report survey. Yeah. Self-report you ask survey. you can say, okay, you know, thinking about your financial situation, mm-hmm. not anything else in your life, just your finances. Yeah. You know, how are you doing right now? And you basically give people off there and. I'm not getting by. I'm barely getting by. I'm doing okay, or I'm comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Right. And three quarters of people say they're doing okay or they're comfortable. And a any self-report
1: okay. bias in that? Like, is there a bias to over, to report your standing?
0: Uh, there's there is on a different measure, right? yeah. but this actually, if we we can cross-reference because in the same survey we have questions about do you have a rainy day fund? Can you handle a four hundred dollar yeah. expense? And you basically kind of consistently get it's kind of. Twenty to thirty-five percent of people who appear to be at or below the margin, okay, right, and then two-thirds to seventy-five percent who are kind of okay-ish. Now, there's there's demographics with that. Yep, right. So, the easiest ones to think about are age and education. Mm-hmm. Right. So, the older you are, and the more educated you are, the more secure you are. Makes sense. All right. Uh, so, if you're a low-educated young person, like seventy-five percent of them are not secure. So, you know, there's there's a lot of variation within yep. the population. But, you know, if we look at these measures of, you know, whether you have a rainy day fund or whether you have uh, can handle a four hundred dollar expense, uh, whether your income exceeds your expenses. Um, and most you kind of get half kind of depending on what measures you're looking at. But typically the hardest hit group is a quarter. And uh-huh. how does that look over time? So are we at a time where people
1: are more or less secure or feeling more or less secure than they have in the past?
0: So this particular survey started in 2013. So I don't have a really long time series with it. It's not super old yeah. But relative to 2013, uh, things have gotten better. Okay. Uh, A lot better. Um, You know. So you see the effects of the recession wear off. Mm -hmm. uh, Because if you go back, you know, on that first question, kind of doing okay or comfortable, it was 63%, and now it's 75%. Okay. Right. So yeah, there's been a kind of there's been material improvement in how people report. They're both their kind of subjective preference of it, but also when you give them very specific questions like, if something happened and you needed to cover three months of expenses without an income,
1: yeah, do it, you
0: have the funds to cover it right. without kind of selling things, borrowing stuff, da 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 da, and about half have a rainy day fund or can handle it without borrowing.
1: And you would, I mean, it, that reality that it's improved since two thousand thirteen is is. I mean, it's consistent with, if you look at our, you know, our capital markets, our housing markets, unemployment at record lows. Like, it's it's consistent with this broad area of, hey, there's a lot going right, you know? uh, Yeah,
0: and uh, wages at the bottom are growing faster than wages elsewhere. Largely due, the gap is largely due to minimum wage increases. You know, so you have a bunch of...
1: That's an important point, by the way, when, when... when you hear a t- the talking point that, hey, you know, wealth inequality is not a big deal. Wages at the, the low end are, are growing faster than any other – or than they are in the middle. you know, that's skewed a little – not to dis- skewed, but it's – we're talking minimum wage jobs. And a lot of that well, – a lot of that change the, the, is because of – The, the, the minimum, delta. You know, yes. So the,
0: the fact that you see in recent years uh, wage increases for the low end are above the middle and the high. Mm-hmm. If you took out state minimum wage increases – that gap entirely disappears.
1: Sure. So it's driven by policy.
0: That that particular gap is a policy. Okay. okay. So anyhow, so I, uh, back to, okay, well, what's driving long-term yeah, trends yeah, in, yeah. Uh, in this? And so, again, there's the income side and there's the consumption side. So mm-hmm. let's start with the income side. I think kind of the broad brush picture of the income side is that adjusted for inflation, wages at the middle of the distribution, have been relatively flat. Depends on what exact period you choose to start. Sure, whether yeah, they've yeah. been flat entirely or whether they've gone up. Uh-huh. Um, go back forty years, they're flat. Go back thirty years, they're up. And so there's a little bit of uh, exactly what time horizon are you looking at? Sure. And they've gone up a little bit in recent years. So we're you kind of know slightly growing above inflation, a little tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so the but the bigger question is, is what just determines wages in general, right? Right. Like, why is it that some people can say, yeah, I'm doing great, right? Or more people in some cohort or in some time period, what is it that causes the fluctuation and how well you're doing, right? And so then we talk about breaking wages into two components, right? So the classical model that you would teach in, you know, first day of a labor economics class, is a perfectly competitive market, there's no market power, Uh, wages are just a function of productivity. Sure. Right? And prices, as well as the marginal revenue product, right? Mm -hmm. So if your productivity goes up, you earn more money. Or if the price of the products of the firm that you work for go up faster than inflation, you should earn more money. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's the simple version. And productivity matters. Yeah. Right? Even today, you know, we still see lots of evidence that People who work in more productive industries or more productive areas, they earn higher wages. One of the interesting things that's kind of – I don't know if it's a change, but if we're just observing it more. But there seems to be more variation within industry across firms.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, that's something I, I want to either put a pin in and come back to because it kind of equates to some of what we talked about in previous episodes with this golden ticket. Like if you get a job at Amazon or Google or Facebook or Apple – You are going to outperform people that are other companies.
0: Yeah. So, and there's two, there's two potential sides to that, right? And part of what we're trying to do empirically in the field is kind of crack whether, how much of this is because you're actually more productive working at that firm. Right. And how much of it is that firm has market power. Mm -hmm. And that firm is basically sharing some of its, the rent, we call it, the excess return over what you would get in a competitive market due to the fact that they have power, there's only a handful of them, or whatever it is. They share some with their workers, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, they, we used to do this. That was largely what you, the bargaining with unions was about, right? You had these kind of big three automakers who had a lot of market power. And then the union was the means to which the laborers bargained with the capital to sh- share the rent from that particular outcome. Now, there's other parts to unions and there's other parts of the story.
1: Um, so we've got Wages. We've got productivity, and we've got uh, the ability to extract rent.
0: Power, yeah.
1: Power. And so that, that maybe just define that rent, that ability to extract rent um, yeah, a so, little bit more explicitly.
0: Yeah, so we talk about, so think of the competitive market as the benchmark, right? In a competitive market, if there's excess return, right? So if somebody is earning more than their marginal product, right? Mm-hmm. So if a worker is earning more or the capitalist is earning more, a new firm will enter and compete it away until it drives that rent, we call it, or economic profit to zero. So to say there's not profit, it's just excess profit, profit above what we would expect in a competitive market. Mm -hmm. So if if that's not happening, if there is rent, well, now that's another source of potential wages uh, or income for workers.
1: Sure, all kinds of things it could could mean.
0: So yeah, so if there's if there's if there's rent to share, so you know, so that's the other. Compa- you know, so they, broadly we have these two components to your earnings. There's the just how productive are you, and there's the how much rent in the system, and how is that rent getting shared? Right, right. And a lot of what you, we talk about now is so a there's there's the debate. Is there a lot of rent in the system? First question. Second question is how is that rent being shared? Okay. Right. And um, that is still a fight uh, within lots of academic stuff. I think the reality is it's really hard because it's not like there's it's not like we have one labor market. Mm-hmm. We have a bunch of different labor markets yeah, yeah. in different places, in different right. industries, in right. different right. firms, and it's very hard to kind of parse it. Um, there are some studies, though, that do suggest that wages are kind of falling below productivity, uh, at least in some places, in some industries, which would suggest market power on the power part of the employer.
1: Right, of the owners. Uh, the owners, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's sort of we, – we we've sort of specced out the, the components of income and, and drivers of wealth in these dynamics. How are they sort of operating
0: right now? Um again, it's hard to talk broadly yeah. because what's happening in healthcare is different than what's happening in tech and what's different than what's happening in manufacturing and in difference you know, there's kind of very different stories, but in broad brush terms, um, part of what we, why this links to the future of work, mm-hmm. right? Is the, the two biggest trends are globalization which changes who you compete with, right? right? Uh, both as a firm and a worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we certainly have an accumulating body of evidence that when we allowed China into the World Trade Organization, it was a change in the nature of the effects of trade on workers, Okay. which is, I guess, not surprising when you bring a billion people into the labor market. Uh, at, you know, at, a, at
1: a comparatively at very low cost. Very
0: low cost. Um, yep. You know, because we when I was in graduate school before that happened, I guess that happened while I was in graduate school, but I took trade before it happened. Uh, we talked about, well, trade wasn't really that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And we called it uh, North-North trade versus North-South yep. trade, yep. Right? which basically was rich countries trading with each other and the rich countries, their economies looked the same. And so... You were kind of competing with somebody who looked like you, yeah. And, it didn't make a much difference. We were basically trading Mercedes for Fords and Toyotas, and it, you know it was kind of, it was it was a particular product mix as sure. opposed to a fundamental change, which is North South trade, which is a low income company tra- country trading with a high income country, where yeah, if you're a worker who's exposed to those. Your job in your firm can be done by those workers. Yeah,
1: for a fraction of the cost.
0: You're going to lose power in the market, Mm -hmm. right? So if there was market power that you were exploiting, that's gone.
1: A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana.
0: This is Sam Schultz, and you're listening to A New Angle. And to the extent that you're not more productive than they are, uh, and you might be, you might not be, depends, uh, if you're not completely more productive, then you're going to lose. Right. If you are more productive, there's a chance that you can still survive, but the rent is going to go away. So the cushiness, right? How many benefits you get, how much your wage goes up, all of that stuff, that's not, that's not your boss being mean to you it's the market being mean to you yeah yeah in many um, ways yeah you know it's that we collectively made a choice to trade with uh these countries and get the benefits of that which are cheaper products and all the other stuff that comes with lower that
1: lower price goods all Low of us want good. that or we claim we do um,
0: but you know the the trade off which i think we were unprepared for the magnitude of it um and we're only now really learning there's a series of papers that have really tried to isolate the effects of exposure to trade from China by saying, which specific industries yeah. uh, were more likely to be offshored? Uh, and then going to the, the specific communities where those industries were concentrated and saying, well, what's happening to the workers in those places? And it's not good.
1: Not good. It's just not good. I like, mean, that's where a lot of Marriage the, rates are yeah, down. deaths uh, of despair know, and, all and all the other stuff we've talked go. about.
0: You know, Worst job prospects, lower incomes, you know, all that kind of stuff.
1: When you talk about trade and we think of it, the benefits of trade, I mean, we've been in this what feels to many or what we're told by powers that be is a low inflation environment. Like, you know, the cost of basic goods, a lot of the stuff in the consumer price index is stable. and But some of the big drivers – of uh, family expenses, health care, education, housing, are in, are, are the prices are going up. They're inflating at a, at a much higher rate.
0: Yeah, so now we're moving from the income side to the consumption side. And those side. are
1: things you can't, you know, trade is not going to affect health care prices domestically. Not necessarily. I mean, it's, that's, that's a, there that's are a simplifying sta- uh, statement. But you're not going to outsource manufacturing in the same way that you're going to outsource healthcare.
0: You flip that, but yeah. So you're not going to outsource <laughs> yeah. healthcare uh, yeah, yeah. in the same way that you're going to outsource. At least not.
1: I mean, we're doing 90%. some of it. We're sending radiology elsewhere and
0: whatnot. But generally, it's much harder to uh, outsource something in which somebody literally touching you is frequently yeah. part of the job. Yeah, part of the challenge. So okay, we have the income side of things and. Some people do well. Some people don't. It's a kind of a mix. But part of that's because productivity growth has been low. Mm-hmm. That's part of why we don't see wages growing. The Which same is, way I think, an
1: important point. Because in spite of, like, all the technolo- technology
0: change. Well, it's all, it's, all, it's all related. Yeah. Right? The fact that wages are low is that why we, we actually aren't seeing technological change. We're seeing mm-hmm. technological development. Right. Right? But we're not seeing, you know, we have lots of new ideas and different ways of doing things. But we haven't seen fundamental shifts in how work is frequently done, in part because it's expensive to adopt new technology. It is. It's still cheap to hire workers, getting a field if we're going that down that far. But so, yeah, so uh, there's the productivity piece and then there's the rent piece. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, I think, what gives people anxiety in how we think about labor markets is, yeah, productivity isn't growing at the same rates, and that's part of it, but there used to be more rent in, okay. in the system. Opening up trade and the technology technological development that we have implemented, they have made markets more competitive, and they have then taken some of the rent out. And then there's a different piece on top of that, which is to the extent that there are rents, they are frequently being captured by not the industry, but by the big, giant superstar firm. Okay. Right? And yes. that big, giant superstar firm pays its workers more. Mm-hmm.
1: It can afford to. It can afford to. And it's, it's smart, too, because it, can, it has that rent. It can share some of that rent just enough to keep that talent. It's
0: how it, it preserves its superstar status. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like, okay, great. I, I have the money. I can go buy all the best talent. I mean, and that
1: that that comports with all the anecdotes you hear, right? I mean, we live in Seattle. I had a ton of friends that worked at Amazon, and you know, were they happy in their jobs?
0: Mm. Well, there's
1: there's a distribution, of yeah. course, but many would say, well, you know, I have these stock options, or I have this salary, and, and and I can't get it anywhere else. Yeah, that I
0: can't replicate elsewhere. So making it, there was high switching costs in a lot of ways, and and that's part of. I haven't seen this linked explicitly, but I have a hypothesis that part of burnout issues, mm-hmm. which I think we'll talk about some of the future issues. Yeah, that's next month. Are part of it's just it, the, the way the power has been distributed, mm-hmm. right? Is the employer has this ability because there's so few of them that are offering this right. premium, right? That now they basically they're like they get to play us again. It's just like competing with a worker in China, right? There's you know there's only a few jobs here. Well, great. Like I have the power. I will. I'll give, still give you more than you can get other places. Yes, and you're gonna suck it up and deal with the nightmarish schedule and the long weeks and the scarcity of effort that comes with that.
1: Because you're a replaceable here Good. or elsewhere.
0: Well, you know, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of talent, mm-hmm. um, and lots of talent that wants to work here. And you can leave, and that's fine. But we have such, you know, I mean. At the firm I used to work at in Portland, the guy who was kind of my helper, you know, he got a job offer from Amazon Mm -hmm. and he showed it to me. I was like, yeah, well, you should take that because there's absolutely no way that I can compete with that.
1: Not just in terms of the dollar salary, but also you know the the stock options and the stock package that comes with it too. the stock this
0: options, shit. the stock package, the fact that there's cachet and status, and all of it. all of it's there, but okay, so anyway, so that's the wage side, and there's more to it than that, yeah, yeah, but, you know, let's move to consumption because right, that's a big piece, uh, and we
1: talked about these different classes because, of of expenses that are
0: because yeah, what we've we got the benefit of trade, yeah. You know, consumer products are cheap. We got cheap plastic stuff, right? Tons of it. You know, cheap electronic stuff, cheap plastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of iPhones. Uh, some cheaper food too. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of stuff that we now get to enjoy more of, or at least have lower costs for. The problem is that those cost decreases have been balanced by the cost increases in the things that are really potentially the ones that we are you know, coming full circle back to net worth. Yeah. They're big ticket stuff.
1: Sure. Your health care, your education
0: and your housing. And your housing. And, you know, collectively those consume a, now a giant share of a typical household's income. And it's actually interesting. You know, somebody, some question, some survey somebody did at some point basically asked, well, what are you worried about? Yeah. Right. What is it that you worried about? And you basically could kind of as you move up the income distribution, you basically move through these these things. So if you're at the bottom, you worry about everything. Yep. I'm worried about everything, right? After that, housing and healthcare become your big concerns. After that, it's education and after that it's retirement. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically what you're worried on is basically it's a shortcut to where you are on the ladder of yeah. how well that you're doing. Yeah. If you're worried about everything, you're at the you're probably at the bottom. Sure. Uh, if you're worried about retirement, you're probably doing pretty well. Probably doing okay. Right? You know, everybody should be worried about retirement, but to the extent that you're, you know, if you're if you're sitting there saying, "I'm worried about the fact that there could be this unexpected healthcare expense," and if that happens, I'm done. Hey, retirement's a, 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 a <laughs> something else. It's like the economic
1: um, riff on Maslow's hierarchy of yeah, needs, or something <laughs> like that. Something like that. And, and, so, but and I'm thinking about this too as we're talking about these categories of consumption, like a lot of like. Education, healthcare, housing, these things all roll up into wealth in multiple ways. I mean, more education, more wealth, healthier, more, more wealth, wealth, less expenses associated with your health,
0: all these things. Yeah, no, I mean, they just come, they compound, right? Yeah. And it's why, and it's why, yeah, it's, it's why so much of what we talk about on, if we're not talking about jobs, yeah we're talking about housing, healthcare, and education.
1: Meaning there is that sort of pithy quip of the rich stay healthy and the sick stay poor. And I mean, as, as we're laying this out there, I mean, that kind of comes to bear. Yeah,
0: because we have chosen to, it's not really a market, but it's a quasi market mm-hmm. to allocate healthcare, And scarcity is still scarcity, right? So when you're talking about whether or not we should use markets or not, you're really just deciding, well, scarcity is going to exist in any system. Scarcity doesn't go away. The question is, Is what are the consequences of scarcity and who bears them, right? So when you use the price system to allocate scarcity, mm-hmm. what you're saying is to people who are poor, you're the ones who end up outside. Right. If you move to a non-market system, well, now you're just allocating things through social connections and time, right? So you're basically just choosing, do I want to allocate things through money, social connections, or time? Long lines. And so, you know, uh, but then there are all, you know, I'm not saying that those are the definitive ways of doing it, but those are your kind of, that's the trade-offs that you're trying to balance, right? right. right? And we have chosen to use price mechanisms in all three of those markets with attempts at subsidy to try and cushion, uh, try and allow more access. The question is, is are we getting the subsidy level right so, and, when you say
1: attempts at subsidies, so some form of government inter- intervention in healthcare or some forms of, of uh, student loans or grants or stuff like that, we have mechanisms to try to shape the pricing mechanism. Yeah, to,
0: to, to shape the market. So, in healthcare, at the low end, you have Medicaid. At the level above that, you have subsidies for the exchanges, mm-hmm. um, as well as the tax preference for employer provided health insurance. For education, you have just the state funding. Sure. And you have whatever federal funding is for subsidized student loans or grants or whatever it is. In housing, uh, that's where we do probably the least. Mm-hmm. You know, there are housing vouchers and affordable housing type stuff. But in terms of, you know, the size of the program, you know, the biggest thing that exists in housing is the mortgage interest deduction. And, you, you have to be in the game to get that. And you have to be in the game to get that. In fact, it probably works to raise the price of housing as opposed to decrease the price of housing. So, but, so, you know, in in all three of these areas, the question is, is, well, what do we want to do? So why are prices high? You know, what's happening with both supply and demand and power? And can we do anything either by intervening at the market mechanism level or intervening kind of, I guess I'll call it aftermarket with the subsidy of some sort? Okay to mute it. And you know, those are the debates that we have constantly. That's what we're having. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, these are what drive expenses. Yeah, it's not exclusively, you know, but what is it? It's like 17% of the average household's income, disposable income goes to housing. I, almost the exact same percentage now goes to healthcare. That used to be much lower. So healthcare has kind of been the thing that's really been creeping up. So those two things alone and you're now almost to forty percent of everything you buy. Toss education in, um, and you know yeah. you're, getting, you're getting close to all of it. You're getting close to half, and you still got to eat, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, so that's when we talk about material insecurity. The fact that these things, which you just pointed out—education, healthcare, and housing—are vital to security, right? So, healthcare, so housing is a necessity, an mm-hmm. actual necessity. Healthcare is certainly something close to a necessity at some level. At, at, well, at some level, it is a necessity. At other levels, it's pretty nice to have as right, an investment right. in your health and your ability to earn. And, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, if you just look at the effects of age and education on security, right? So, basically, age in some sense, is proxying for the skill acquisition that comes just over the course of your life, right? So that's why frequently you're more secure. Your productivity is higher. And education also is a way of acquiring skills and productivity. And so, you know, you kind of put all that together and say, yeah, okay, education, I need, I need that too right. if I really want to be secure, mm-hmm. right? You know, the, if you're over 60 and you have a college degree, like it's like 90%. Are meeting all of those check boxes sure. of security, yep. right? Yep. So you know it's it's very high. So that, that you know those are clear pathways to security. And the question is, is we are you if you look at younger cohorts compared to older cohorts, and I don't have this in a time series, but in a snapshot, they're much more likely to say they're not going to college because of the cost whether it's just they're saying it's too expensive or they're saying the costs exceed the benefits uh, in spite of the various evidence to the contrary, you know, which, you know, in spite of the wealth thing, if you ask people, was it worth it? Right, right. They still say they, yes. Uh, they almost all say yes. Yeah. Like 90% say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So we have these consumption issues as well that are certainly feeding into... Why people sometimes feel like they're at the margin?
1: Yeah, and do we know? Like, just take those three categories: healthcare, uh, housing, and education. Is the percentage of household income that's being allocated to those three categories on the rise?
0: Yes. All right. So I have the data for Montana. Actually, I have both U.S. and Montana. So healthcare in Montana is now eighteen percent of what we call personal consumption expenditure. Yeah. Right, which is, you know, the share of consumption on that divided by disposable income for the average month. Sure. And that used to be 13%. Right? Yeah. So it's been a five percentage point increase. The other way of looking at this, if you just look at the cost of what you pay, so assuming you have employer-sponsored insurance, the share of the premium that you pay plus your deductible... Mm-hmm as a share of median household income, has doubled. Yeah. Uh, uh, in One the out of every
1: six days you're working. Yeah. Pays for your health care. <laughs> exactly.
0: Right? So housing, housing in Montana, at least, according to this data, and there's some issues with how they treat owner-occupied housing because it's hard because uh, you have to impute some rent or whatever yep. it is. And yep, yep housing markets in Montana are weird for reasons I won't get into, but that's actually been pretty stable at about 16, 17%. It kind of fluctuates around. So I don't know exactly and you know, it probably varies a lot depending on whether you're a college educated person or not. But, uh, but we know that education is more expensive. Even after you adjust for scholarships and grants, it's gone Mm -hmm. up a little bit. And if you don't qualify for that stuff, it's gone up a lot. So yeah, it's probably, it's probably gone up as well. And,
1: you know, this is a dangerous question to sort of, ask as we're getting toward the end of our time. But we haven't even talked about tax policy and how that layers on top of this. But that's part of this mix as well, right?
0: Yeah, so... And it speaks
1: uh, to power and all of that.
0: Yeah, so we we talk... We go, and we're flipping back to... I mean, it's operates on the consumption side, I guess, some as well, but mostly on the income side. So you have your raw income, oh. right? So your wages, mm-hmm. which are a function... We also have hours. Right? We didn't talk about that, right? There's also can I get as many hours as I want and how much variability in my hours is there and those are other issues that affect material security in real ways. Uh, You know, like there's a, what is it, about a third of people have non-trivial month-to-month variation and a half of that third uh, say that that variation affects their ability to pay the bills.
1: So variation in the amount of hours they work and that variation can cause
0: a lot of angst. It causes a lot of angst, right? So, you know, you go through, but you know, eventually you get to the government mm-hmm. and it's not just taxes, there's also transfers. Sure. Right. So we have taxes and transfers as ways of trying to help, you know, so there's your raw income, but then there's just your disposable income, right? right? Which is what you get to keep after the government takes out its share. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the transfers that it provides in some form or assured. another. You could have some coming uh, back. You said it could have some of your income supporting others. And and it's important, uh, and I will be the wonky economist to say, that that doesn't just mean the checks the government writes. It's also the checks that you don't have to write for the government. Mm. right? We call those tax expenditures. Yeah. Right. And when I get to not pay taxes on the health insurance that the university provides me, or that I don't pay taxes on the interest that I pay on my mortgage, that's essentially the government writing me a check. Right. right? Because it's basically saying, well, you don't have to pay me that. You know, somebody else who doesn't qualify for those things and is identical to me Mm -hmm. pays more in taxes than I do. Right. So, um, you know, so it's both. It's both the transfer, the actual SNAP or Medicaid or something like that, But it's also what we call tax expenditures that, you know, where people who pay taxes who don't have to pay as much because of something that the government has decided that they get a bonus for. So all of that stuff, uh, kind of, that leads to the income side, Mm -hmm. right? And then I I guess we also should throw in family transfers. That's Um, true.
1: Generational wealth and all the dimensions of that. And also there's a, I saw in some of the data you, you shared with me that an increasing number of sort of Twenty somethings are being supported by their family than in the past.
0: Yeah, so um, not completely,
1: but to some degree, they're getting monetary support. Well,
0: yeah, so uh, it's like a third. If you have, it varies by education level, but if you're in the twenties, mm-hmm. um, and even if you have a college degree, almost twenty percent are getting some form of family transfer. Yeah, if you don't have, if you're if you're a less than high school twenty year old, like a thirty five percent of them are getting some sort of family support. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's it ranges and then I think it's like a different survey like 12% of 20 something say they get more than $500 a month from their parents.
1: And that's not just a windfall for the younger generations, that is at the expense of what else that money could be doing for the older generation.
0: Yeah. I mean, so could some... be being
1: spent on health, could be being spent on savings in general. Or whatever, or it yeah. could be you know the lack of the, having those funds could contribute to ma- material insecurity uh, in different generations.
0: Exactly, because it's not it's not you know it, it is you are more likely to make those transfers if you are higher in the income distribution. Right, but it is not zero. It in fact it is it's is high for mm-hmm. everybody as you get older. Uh, you know, it's like a third of kind of 50 year olds are providing something to at least something to some non household member it could be up to parents or down to kids it doesn't specify i didn't do the data specifying it but
1: right and i guess uh, i just want to be clear like we're, we're not suggesting that you know the fact that more parents now are paying money to their to their kids at older ages that we're not suggesting that's necessarily bad right i mean it, there's all sorts of judgments that societies need to make about how families are structured and wealth is spread across families but, but there are implications for material security over time.
0: Yeah, so I mean the reason we're bringing it up is because we're talking about your security and security is a function of all forms of income. And right. To the extent that this is a piece of all forms of income it's part of how we establish whether you're secure or not. Mm-hmm. I would say it's actually optimal uh, to transfer money to if you're, if you're a parent and you're going to transfer money to a kid right? Doing it when they're 20 or 30 is f- much better than transferring it to them after you die when they're 70. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, from just a pure material security standpoint, we know that as you get older, mm-hmm. you're going to find more security. It's just on average, that's what happens. Yeah. Right. So to, to take and transfer to somebody who's 70 and already secure, whatever bequest you're going to leave them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Yeah. Trust me, I, I would have rather gotten money when I was 25 uh, than I will even yeah, now. you can put right? it to work. You know, Absolutely. You know, particularly when your kids are little or when you're getting ready to buy that first house. Like, yeah, there's a lot more from the kind of the marginal benefit to me from any money that a parent might transfer me. Uh, in expectation, it's higher when I'm younger than when I'm older. Sure. So, you know, now to the extent that you're harming your own material security to do so, then that's an issue right you know that suggests that you know we're we're just transferring sec- insecurity around the the system and you know what we're trying what we would love to do is lower the total amount of sec- insecurity And so if we're taking from somebody who's relatively secure and can afford it and transferring it to somebody who's much more likely to be insecure that's that's fine i don't think there's any reason to be opposed to that other than you know kind of jealousy reasons sure uh, you know i don't get it and you do and well, and then, then the consequences of that, right, which is, uh, we know one of the consequences of family support, particularly for people with college degrees, is people, 20-somethings who get family support, if they don't live at home, do better in their occupation, Really? What's well, power? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you oh, know, I get it. They have power. They have, have options. I have options. I, I, can, I, I don't have to stick with this job. Right. right? I can
1: negotiate harder. I, c- or press. I can. Yeah.
0: I can jump jobs. I can take a risk. I can do yeah. all that kind of stuff. So there's a fairness issue potentially with it. Mm-hmm. But from a just a aggregate material insecurity issue, transfer away. <laughs> like you know, you're yeah. you're basically uh, as long as you're reducing the total amount of insecurity in the system, that's fine.
1: Although, and we haven't really spoken about inequality, right, and and, and how that's distributed across all these categories, I think probably we got to put a pin in that one.
0: Too. Yeah, I mean, I I intentionally did not dive too hard into that yeah. in the notes mm-hmm. uh, because it's kind of separate. Yeah, I, I think what, what we're trying—that's a relative issue, and there's definitely a relative component to security, and that ripples through. The mechanisms we we're just talking about, mm-hmm. right? you know, but it's easier to have a conversation about material security at the absolute level, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is, do I have enough resources to satisfy my consumption needs to put me in a position where I am comfortable or okay? Because if I'm comfortable or okay, that's when the options open up, mm-hmm. right? And if I if I'm in that quarter to a third who are frequently not at that margin or even if you're in the okay group and you're kind of one adverse hit might knock you down, well, that's what we're trying to focus on. That's an absolute issue, right? That's, you know, that's, at least it starts at an absolute level of how much income do you earn or do you gather from other sources? Why? How can we get you more? Uh, How can we lower the variance of it so that it's more optimally timed? And then what's happening on the consumption side particularly to things that you don't have a lot of discretion over. Because one thing to basically be like, well, just don't buy as much discretion. You hear those articles all the time. Yeah, exactly. Don't buy your coffee, you know, whatever. Why you? You know, it's the... the, Why are you spending $4 on a latte? You know, these kind of marginal things, which at the, you know, at the structure of, you know, what people spend money on. Yeah,
1: and they're objectionable, too, just, you know, in a lot of other dimensions.
0: Yeah, but from a pure material security perspective, the issue with material security is... I want to, the more discretionary income I have, the more secure I am, mm-hmm. right? If I am, if I'm sitting there saying I can meet that need, I can meet that need, I can meet that need, I can meet that need. And I have stuff left over. Right. Right. Then I have security, right? Because that left over, that means I can save. Mm-hmm. That means I can build the nest egg, the rainy day fund, whatever it is. And, you know, that stuff is driven by housing, healthcare, big durables like cars. Yeah. And, yeah, the big stuff. You know, in Montana, we, we spend a lot on those big durables. Yeah. Right? Because we all have toys. You know, the RV, the boat, the bike. Snowmobile, the, all uh, that stuff. You know, in fact, skis, bike, yeah. As computed, the personal savings rate in Montana is basically negative. Mm. Uh, we don't say anything on average. And the reason for that, the gap is consumer durables. Is it really? Yeah, it's recrea- <laughs> in, Which is recreation equipment. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's us, Maine and Vermont, I think, are the lowest at the state level. It's not a pure perfect sa- personal savings rate, but it's basically zero. Interesting, uh, And that's, you know, it's interesting because our income is low, but the average personal consumption expenditure in Montana is at the national average. We just spend it all the way and we spend it all the way. And, you know, which is it's why people live here, right? Yeah. Spend it on your toys. Why not? We got to have the toys to yeah. complement our outdoor recreation. Uh,
1: so- And I think that's kind of a a, a good place to kind of land it in the sense that all of these things, you know, roll up into, and I I think this is why I enjoy speaking to you about this stuff, Bryce, the most is because it's it's not just dollars, right? These roll up into the issues of well-being we talked about before. How much time do you have? I mean, you defined this at the beginning is do you have the resources to create options? And so what are those resources? Yeah, money is a part of it. Time is a part of that. Energy is a part of that. Power is a part of that. And all those things sort of swirl into this sense of well being. Next month, we're going to talk about this notion of burnout that we alluded to today and its effects across generations. And we're going to be bringing back Ann Helen Peterson to talk about that. You might remember Ann from her appearance on the podcast in July. She's working on a book on burnout. Particularly amongst millennials, and we're going to be kind of breaking down her more qualitative approach to the to the phenomenon with Bryce's uh, more economic based approach. So I'm excited about that conversation.
0: You know, we're, it's exciting we have a guest on our little.
1: Box. I know incentives <laughs> and instincts. Bringing on guests, we're <laughs> exactly. expanding the tent. Um, Bryce, thanks as always, and I look I look forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. Okay, so that was fun. Coming up next week, we have Michelle Weaver-Knowles, who's launched a really interesting new business called Ava Health. She's a registered nurse and is doing a ton of interesting work with genetics, and I'm excited for you to hear that one next week. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a gift from University of Montana alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. And remember that a new angle is supported by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. These guys pretty much sell anything electrical you would ever need, but they also hire a ton of our students. If you want to learn more about jobs at CED, visit cedcareers.com. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps, executive producer Stefan Borsom, and interns Aspen Runkle and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks for the tunes. And finally, props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Finally, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word. And be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.